Welcome to L10 Talks, the life sciences trainers and educators network podcast. In conversations with some of the greatest thinkers in the leadership and training space, we'll learn about the creative initiatives, award-winning executions, and best practices that will help you engage and empower your teams, colleagues, and learners. Brought to you by Illuminate, an innovative industry leader in clinical sales training. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to L10 Talks. Today, our guest is an organizational psychologist whose advice can regularly be found in the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Business Review, Fast Company, and Bloomberg Business Week. His TED Talks have been viewed over 2 million times. He's the author of many best selling books, including Under New Management and The Myths of Creativity. And I just learned today that he actually carried the bag for a number of years as a pharmaceutical sales representative. So he definitely understands the challenges that are unique to the life sciences industry. Here to talk to us about his new book, Leading from Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Managing Remote Teams, our guest is David Burkus. David, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So David, we've known each other for a few years. It's been great. In fact, I'm always jealous because your books give wisdom that I like to give. You just usually do it before I do. And once again, <laughs> you're so timely with Leading From Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Managing Remote Teams. Yeah. Oh, you're too kind. This is a hot topic. We're at the place and I kind of, I wrote the book last summer as we're recording this summer of 2020. And my prediction was that we're going to get a year into this thing and the realization is going to come to a lot of people that you don't send 100 million knowledge workers to work from home for a year and then expect them to come back, right? I don't know what percentage of companies are going to go fully distributed. I think it'll still be very, very small. But we're going to have to have a much more flexible workplace, a workplace that allows for people to be remote at least a couple days a week. And the, and the data before the pandemic supported this too. It's just that most of us believed it couldn't be done. Well, we spent a year proving that, okay, took a little bit, a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of burn, a lot of bit of burnout, actually but it's working. And so we don't have an excuse to ask everybody to come back. And so my, that's why it's called leading from anywhere. The future of work isn't a work from home versus work from the office. It's work from anywhere. That's the future that pretty much every industry needs to be preparing for. And it's interesting, as I talk to a lot of executives, the ones who maybe three or even six months ago said, no, 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 we're special. We're going to bring everyone to the office because that's how you build great culture. They're now saying, we can't even if we want to, because headhunters are going to pick us apart. Like everybody else who offers flexible hybrid work arrangements has an advantage when it comes to recruiting. So we all have to learn how to lead from anywhere these days, right? Yeah, exactly. I first heard it, I think from Dan Pink and I stole it like a lot of things, but that is that top talent has always needed organizations less than organizations need top talent, right? In other words, your top people they know they can make demands. And one of the big ones will be wanting to keep some level of flexibility. Now, not all, right? I think it's actually very, very few people that are want to go, yes, I do want to work from my spare bedroom five days a week. That's not true. But I mean, there's a reason that shows like The Office were the number one sitcom in the early 2000s, right? There's a reason why movies like Office Space have been funny 20 years after they made it. And it's because we all connect to some of the for lack of a better term, drudgery that can be the office when people feel like they have to be there when there's nothing worth doing. And that's what we're not going back to. Top talent won't let that happen. And so if you want to stay competitive, you're going to have to offer that some level of flexibility. And you're going to have to be comfortable with the idea 
I mean, right now, what's really weird is we're still in this phase where almost everyone is remote. And so everyone might have different preferences about how remote they're going to be at the end of this. Right now, everybody's on the same. So it almost feels easier than it's going to feel when half the team is there partially, quarter of the team is there 100% of the time, and a quarter of the team is never there. See, this is great. We're starting to get into it because like you said, it's not just one thing. It's this hybrid, it's this flexibility. And in this short podcast, we're not going to be able to cover everything in detail, but let's start with the big picture. So what are like the key things we need to figure out? What are the key secrets if we're going to be successful leading from anywhere? Yeah. So, you know, you, you mentioned culture and that's been probably the number one question that I get. I mean, unfortunately, in the beginning part of the pandemic, the number one question I got was, how do I know they're working? But um, <laughs> now it's okay. We're going to be more flexible. How do we build culture? You know, the funniest thing to me is we'll say our culture was so unique. I don't know how to do it. I'll be honest, it wasn't all that unique, right? Like great, you know this, great company cultures. It's sort of like that, that Tolstoy quote from Anna Karenina, right? All happy families are alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy. And it's, it's the same thing with company cultures, right? Like every great company culture is actually really similar. It's all the dysfunctional cultures that are dysfunctional in their own way. <laughs> so when we look at virtual teams, remote companies, fully distributed companies, et cetera, and we look at all of the research on it, they really have three things in common in their culture. And everybody uses different words. That's why we think it's different. But they have some level of shared understanding, shared identity, and psychological safety. And, and we can kind of dive into those each in, in turn if you want, or we can skip right to the how do you do it. You, you tell me. Well, let's just start with the first one. I mean, shared understanding. What do you mean by that? And then give us a tip or two about how do we get there? Yeah. So shared understanding, this is the extent to which members of the team or people in the organization either have a system in place or have a strong sense of everyone in their team or their company's knowledge, skills, abilities, their roles, responsibilities. We have clear expectations. We know what the deliverables are. We know who to go to for help. And we know who is relying on us and our work product in order to get their projects done, et cetera. When all of that's clear and not vague, that's a strong sense of shared understanding. Unfortunately, when, when the great work from home experiment began, shared understanding kind of went out the window. It turned into, I mean, most team leaders would actually say, I don't manage a team anymore. I manage eight individual relationships, which means there's no crosstalk. There's no sense of that shared understanding. And especially over the last year, the context people have been working in is really different. And that speaks to part of shared understanding. Some people, you and I, I mean, we're doing this from like a private office where we can close the door and block out the kids. And other people are working from the same dining room table. Their kids are being Zoom schooled at, right? Those are different contexts. And teams need to understand that. So that's shared understanding. My big tip for shared understanding is if you haven't done it already, we need a system in place where people can work out loud, a system where we're checking in with the whole team on a regular basis. The timelines we used to use of projects with deadlines of three months, six months, nine months, et cetera, those are too long. We need to break that up, co-create those small little objectives that are one to two weeks long and continuously circle back so that everybody on the team knows what everybody else is doing. And the other big thing I would build, and this is going to be really important when we get into this work from anywhere world, if you're not already there, is that we need to have clarity on each other's calendars. And I've stopped using like work time versus non-work time. I think it's been too integrated over the last year, but we need to have some understanding about when people's responsive times are and when their non-responsive times are. In other words, we need to know when, because we're the only one that's in a responsive mode and everybody else is a non-responsive. And we need to use an asynchronous communication method instead of like blasting everybody on the Slack channel or sending out this text or, or what have you. We need to have a lot of conversations about the how we're going to work and how we're going to keep each other updated so we can continue to build that shared understanding. 
So I'm going to go deeper into that in a couple of minutes, because I think we're going to all funnel into sort of like, how do we get these agreements in place? But you had mentioned the second key piece is shared identity. And (laughs) there was a lot that I liked in your book, but I really enjoyed this part. And I'm hoping when you talk about shared identity, you're also going to talk about something called FICA. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. So to give you the definition, shared identity is the sense to which people feel like they identify with that group. When I say my team, they point to the right group or they point to the whole organization. Shared identity is what squelches the silos, what tears down the walls, what ends the politics and, and turf wars and that sort of a thing, right? And unfortunately, shared identity is hard to do. And I think I mentioned this at this section of the book. My first job in between undergrad and when I went back to grad school to study work psychology, I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. I carried the bag for a drug company. And we had a very sort of cross-functional matrixed way that we reported. I had people in the same city as me selling different products, but answering to different managers. And so it was kind of like, who's your team, right? Is your team the people that respond to your boss? Or is your team the people that are in the same city? Like, I still don't know the good answer to that question, to be totally honest with you. I know who still gets Christmas cards (laughs) and it's not my old boss. (laughs) So shared identity kind of speaks to that. And I think this is the future problem to solve. This is the work from anywhere problem to solve, right? Because we're going to have this tendency to create, we've always had us versus thems, right? Marketing has always hated legal, right? This is like those turf wars kind of happen. Shared identity can help reduce those. But prior to the great work from home experiment, us versus them tendencies were usually functional like that, marketing versus legals, sales versus et cetera. Now they might be between the co-locateds and the not co-locateds with the hybrids falling in the middle, feeling like children of separated parents. There's a potential for this to go really, really wrong and different segments to get jealous of each other, et cetera, unless we truly do build those bonds and identify as a team. This is where FICA comes in, by the way, or other systems that you put in place to build bonds between teammates. The one real big benefit of a co-located office has always been that bonds and friendships and relationships develop accidentally in a co-located office. Buffer times that create unstructured time where we have non-work conversations, find mutual interests, passions, backgrounds, et cetera. Those happen in a co-located office. They don't in a remote team. And so they need to be a deliberate thing. And FICA or some variation of it, sometimes using different terms, is a ritual or tradition that a lot of distributed teams have adopted even before the pandemic to build those exact bonds. Fika is a Swedish word. It translates to to have coffee, but it's a bigger ritual in Sweden than than that. It's a much more relationship-oriented thing. In a distributed team, Fika usually looks like once a week, you have about a 30-minute coffee break with a random person on your team or in the organization. Every company is a little bit different. The standard way goes, you know, you opt into it and then you get randomized to meet either someone on your team or someone throughout the whole organization, depending on the size of the organization. And you get seated and you have a 30 minute Zoom or Microsoft Teams, unstructured, non-work related conversation where you just get to know each other and you get to discover uncommon commonalities and you get to build that friendship. So now that person isn't like a non-playable character whose name is in the Slack channel. Now they're a real person, somebody I identify with and somebody I, I actually feel bonded to. And that can go, it it seems tiny, but that can go a a long way in building bonds, building friendships and building that sense of shared identity. David, I'm laughing. Probably our listeners can't pick it all up because my producer will scrub it out. But part of why I like your books and your speeches, your keynotes so much is you just sneak in these words. So it's like the non-player character (laughs) appears (laughs) on the bottom of your Zoom or whatever. I think we could all sort of relate to that. And FICA, I mean, what a fun word, cool concept. Couldn't believe I wasn't familiar with it. And 
the power to me also, it, it's certainly uh, something we should be doing on our teams and the people we kind of have to work with, but it potentially can help solve this issue that I'm hearing from a career development perspective, which is like, especially in a big company, how do you get visibility, you know, laterally or horizontally? You know, how do I move? Sure, I can move up if my boss's boss knows I exist and, and I make an appearance here or there, but how can I, I'm in training today. How do I get into marketing? If nobody knows I exist over in marketing, yeah. FICA might be helpful in this way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this is one of the big, even the moving up piece, by the way, this is one of the big reasons I say shared identity, sort of the new challenge for navigating this work from anywhere future is that if you've got an organization that says, yeah, we're going to be much more flexible and remote than we've ever been before, but senior leaders are still spending 50 hours a week in the home office. This is a problem for everyone who's decided not to spend 50 hours a week in the home office, right? And the same thing going laterally. So, so FIC is a good way to do it. There's other things that I think you can ar arrange. I mean, I think we're going to see kind of a resurgence of different interest groups and identity groups having regular meetings that are still done in a distance capacity in order to be more inclusive. And so you can take the lead on that, right? Anything that you do that creates that unstructured time that's going laterally across the organization or just outside of your team you are going to benefit from having a bond with those people, right? Don't wait for to be working on a project with marketing where you get called into the actual functional meetings to build those relationships. Build them now, and that'll actually make it more likely you get called into them to begin with, and that helps you with your lateral move. Now, David, I want to ask you in a minute about the third pillar of psychological safety, but we are first going to hear a very brief message from our show sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by L10, the essential resource for life science trainer education for over 50 years. From onboarding to advanced skill development and self-guided learning tools to webinars, virtual events, and more, L10 is here to support your professional development needs. Visit us at l-10.org to learn more. That's l-ten.org. All right. So David, third important element when you're trying to lead effectively from anywhere is, of course, building psychological safety. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, this is crucial. And by the way, this is true for a co-located team as well. Psychological safety is like one of those things. We give credit to Amy Edmondson for discovering or discovering the importance of it. And then we see it everywhere. There, I don't know of a high-functioning, high-performing team that doesn't have this as an element of its culture. And it's the extent to which people feel safe to take risks, safe to express themselves, especially safe to express dissent and to disclose failures. And, and you know, anybody who's led a team knows that dissent is probably uncomfortable. If you're doing leadership poorly, your teams probably aren't disagreeing with you all that often, but when they do and you can keep it task focused, everybody benefits from learning. Same thing with failures, right? There's huge benefits when we can actually have people feel free to open up about what they failed on and then we can have the conversation about what could go better and, and draw all those lessons. And, and psychological safety speaks to all of that. The interesting thing on a remote team, why it's so important, why it's one of these three key pillars is that it's harder to do. It's harder to speak up and dissent and disagree on a Zoom call, for example. It's harder to even just read the room and get a sense that, that you could build in that weekly all hands meeting or whatever you're having, that you can build a sense of trust among people when they're staring at grainy images of each other in a Brady box kind of format, right? And so it makes it all the more important to build that. And when you look at uh, even at Edmondson's definition of psychological safety, it's a, it's a climate that's characterized by mutual trust and respect. 
And that's really where we need to focus, right? As leaders of the teams, especially, that's where we need our people to focus. And those are two different things. They seem like they're similar. I like to think of them actually as trust and respect are what happen on either side of somebody taking that risk based on psychological safety. In other words, I don't speak up or I don't disclose my failures, et cetera, unless I trust the group to be a place where I can safely disclose, to be a place where I'm going to be listened to, et cetera. And respect happens afterwards. If I don't feel like your response was respectful, if I presented my idea and you told me why we don't do it that way here, right? Or I felt like your nonverbals were that you weren't really listening, that you were trying to solve my problem faster than trying to understand the situation I'm in. Those can all have a detrimental effect on psychological safety because if people feel like, okay, I trusted you and you were disrespectful, then they're not going to trust you again, right? And we see this in a variety of capacities. My best advice here, by the way, is every team and every team leader usually has that person that they have the biggest in-group with, the biggest rapport with, the person that they trust the most. Appoint that person as sort of like a watcher. The next time you're running a meeting where it's safe to, obviously, this isn't your one-on-one coachings, but a team meeting where they can observe, have them watch the nonverbals, have them watch the. It's hard enough to run a Zoom meeting, I'll be honest with you. It's harder than running an in-person meeting. And so you're running who's talking to what and slides and all that. You can't also worry about these things. Have somebody else be watching the facial expressions of people as you threw out that joke that you thought was funny, but three people actually kind of winced at, and maybe they felt a little disrespected. You're never going to catch that. Somebody else will, right? And then circle back with that person whose job it is to watch that, to get feedback on how you can do it so that you can build a little bit more civility in your interactions with people, demonstrate more respect and be willing to trust them and have them trust you as well. All of that happens better if you've got somebody who can give you that feedback. And then ironically, and you know, let's say you, let's use the example I threw out there as a joke. You make that joke, people wince, et cetera. When you come back next week and you apologize, you here's what I meant by that. And I'm sorry if it was misinterpreted, et cetera. You just raised the level of psychological safety on the team because you admitted your failure, right? So vulnerability is a huge piece of that as well. None of that happens without opening yourself up to feedback and coaching. So appoint somebody on your team that you trust to be able to do that, to give you that feedback after every time you're having these team interactions and you'll raise that level of psychological safety over time. Great advice. And David, we only have a few minutes left and I'm going to throw you a curveball because this isn't directly related to uh, anything from your book, but you said something earlier that I know got you instant street cred with our L10 listeners when you said, I carried the bag. No other industry uses the phrase in that way, but you actually carried the bag in life sciences. And the hottest topic right now in the industry from the sales standpoint and leading remotely is, you know, how does a district manager, district business manager coach the sales representatives when partly they're not even going on the ride-alongs in person? So how are they, you know, how do you give feedback to a call you might not be in on or you're only watching a Zoom call? And how do you do it when you're no longer kind of spending the day together, talking about sports and family and kind of softening everybody up before you zing them with your feedback, (laughs) hopefully in that proper coaching form, you know, at the local diner? Like, what advice would you give for this time we're in? Yeah. So to say something controversial first, and that's that I'm not all that convinced these were all that effective of a method anyway. Remember the psychological safety piece. I feel safe to disclose myself. Most of these ride-alongs, come on, you're seeing the rep's best friends, right? You're ha- you're going to the offices where they already like you. You're not going to that one that never likes to talk to reps ever, right? And you got to you're not they're not taking you to that one, right? So there was already that sort of air. Here's what I would do in this situation with remote things: I would look for ways to take the individual coaching and make it group oriented. I would actually look for times 
you know, it used to be like the industry standard was two days with one rep, two days with another, and then Fridays you're in your home office. So maybe you do something similar where Friday afternoons, you're getting the whole team together and you're actually debriefing like best and worst calls. Just have everybody have a sense to share. What was your best call? Why was it the best? What was your worst call? And then let the group actually provide feedback to other people on the group. Step in when you need to and say, here's, here's my suggestion for how I would handle that. But let the group also do it. Not only does that build the psychological safety piece we were just sort of talking about, it also helps with the working out loud piece we were talking about at the very beginning. But I, I think you're going to get over time, as people learn they can trust you and they can trust the group, you're going to get reports of more honest interactions than what you were seeing in ride-alongs before all of this began anyway. And so that would be the goal. It may be something that even when it's safe to do all of the ride-alongs again, you may want to keep that routine up because you're probably going to be getting your best growth opportunities when you get everybody together to have the coaching conversation together and help each other. You're just there to facilitate. Love it. David, what is the best way for people to learn more about you, your work, and of course, your new book, Leading from Anywhere, The Essential Guide to Managing Remote Teams? Ah, so I was really, really lucky in that David Burkus is a really weird last name. And so all the <laughs> domains were still available. So if you type David Burkus into Google, even if you spell it wrong, you'll either get me or you'll get the interior designer, Nate Burkus. Win-win either way, actually, because, you know, this stuff's pretty good. So I would just say that that'll take you to davidburkus.com. We've got a ton of different resources there that are totally free. I hope you get a copy of the book, but if you don't, the resources are still free that can help with a lot of the things, implementing a lot of things we've been talking about today. So that would be where I'd send you, davidburkus.com. David, thanks for joining us on L10 Talks. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Join us again for the next L10 Talks podcast and visit l-10.org for all things life sciences training. That's l-ten.org.